0: we help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Hi, and welcome back. I'm John McMahon, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Revenue Builders Podcast. We're back today for part two of our lengthy discussion with Richard Rivera. Richard is the author of the new book, The Champion Sell five elite sales habits to building and winning with buyer champions. If you haven't listened to part one yet, you might want to go back to that episode first so you'll have the right context for this second portion of the interview. And we start the conversation with Richard by diving straight into the five elite sales habits. Here we go. So, uh, Richard, you know, you talk about the five elite sales habits. Can you just You know, tell us what those five are and then we can, you know, dig into each one of them.
0: Yeah. So the, like I said earlier, um, these humans that we sell to are, are, are really unpredictable and predominantly emotionally driven, which I'll talk about in the first habit. Um, so it's our routines. It's not process and methodology. Absolutely critical to have sales process and methodologies as a part of our playbook. But if we really want to connect to these people and build champions, it has to be our habits. There's a great book, The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, and he really talks about a habit loop. So the routines that we do really start with our 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 perspective of a reward we're going to get, right? If I think that I am going to uh, relax if I smoke a cigarette at lunch every day, then my routine will be to smoke that cigarette because my perception is there is a reward with smoking that cigarette. And so we typically in sales have no clue sometimes um, what we need to do to get to the reward. And then we develop bad habits and then we don't get the reward. So what I try to define are, look, if you adopt and commit to these five habits, you will, you will be on your path to becoming elite seller. So it's our routines and that's the only way that we can be agile enough and be prepared um, with all the different personalities and people that we encounter. So the, so these, the, so i created create these five habits and they're an acronym elite. And, you know, the cool thing about acronyms when they just kind of work themselves out, um, oh, it's yeah. nice. And so <laughs> medic worked itself out. Medic is the health of the deal, but McMahon and, him, and his, and his friends at PTC didn't sit down on a napkin one day and go, Hey, how can we create this acronym? That's going to sound really cool. Um, it just worked itself out. Um, emotional connection is the first E and I'll talk about why that's important, but basically this is the foundational habit, the emotions of a human being. That's going to take a meeting with us. It's going to react to us on a meeting. That's going to get aligned on a buying process with us. They're far bigger in the champions decision process than most sellers realize. And we've got to understand that with intuition and some basic uh, psychology. We just need to understand how people think. And so that's what I teach. And, and that fundamental understanding of how buyers make decisions and react to us is that enablement of getting connected to them in any situation, any person. Leading vision is the L. Leading vision is what we've been talking about, which is, as, as, as Cap articulates really well, look, there are positive outcomes that I desire for myself as an individual. I desire positive outcomes, predominantly, uh, first and foremost, I desire solving some problems that are front of mind right now. And then there that gets me to these outcomes I die, desire for myself. And I call that state a personal vision. It's personal. So elite sellers will take my value proposition and I will connect it to you to lead you to see how a positive future vision for yourself can be enabled to what I do. So that is in our sales conversations. So Now I'm starting to get a champion connected. And so I go to the I, which is inspiring commitment, where a lot of sellers fail, especially when they're selling to transformers or teasers. They think that they have the champion and maybe they have commitment, but they're lacking. uh, Maybe they have connection, but they're lacking commitment, right? And commitment, just think about the word. Commitment is, it's a decision to do something. It's intellectual. I'm going to do something about this. I'm gonna be your champion. I'm gonna sponsor you. So how do I inspire that level of commitment beyond just the connection that I get on my sales conversations, inspiring commitment? T is trust building. I always tell my sellers, every deal begins and ends with trust. In the first 15 seconds, they're gonna be questioning their trust of you, your product, your solution, your company, your manager. And as the deal goes on, the stakes get much heavier for the champion target and their need, especially if they're going to commit to closing, working to close this deal and with you, their needs for trust are going to get more diverse, more things are going to be in, in, in question, and they're going to need to have that trust. So we have to be intentional trust builders. It can't happen accidentally. So I teach you how trust happens psychologically and how to build it. And then the, the last E in elite is empowering champions. This is probably my favorite one because... Uh, and my, wa- my wife is actually a, a manager in sales. And she said this to me the other day, you know, I have I have a rep who has really done a good job with their messaging and they've connected this buyer and the buyer is really excited. And then they back off and they think, my job's done. Let me just kind of wait for it to come in. And so how many of us managers have, have actually sat there waiting for it to come in? And then someone comes along and says, you know, you're probably getting outsold right now. So empowering champions is the work that we need to be doing. And by the way, the work that our champions need from us in order to empower them to get the deal done. And, and elite sellers know the work doesn't stop until the deal is done. Uh, and a lot of sellers don't realize that they get really complacent. So elite uh, is, is the, is those five habits. Uh, and I and go into and go into any of them we want to here.
1: Yeah, let's go into each and every one of them. So let's start with the E emotional connection. You already talked a little bit about buyer empathy and buyer intuitiveness. So let's go a little bit deeper than that on the on the uh, E yeah. for emotional connection.
0: So so um, if we sell to people, then the the one thing that um, that we all need to learn that I teach in the book is that all humans have a decision path that they go through you know, in that journey to really understand why do, do people take meetings with us? It all starts with prospecting. Why would they even stop looking, listen to our message before they even take a meeting with us? Right. And then why would they take the meeting? Why would they have a positive discovery call? Why would they have a really so, a solid response in a presentation meeting, et cetera? So it, what I learned is it really comes down to a, the decision path that that we have. And so, you know, thinking about how the brain it has evolved over the years makes it really simple to understand what I call the buyer decision path. And for those of you like, like McMahon, who are more of the math, the math people out there, just think of these two numbers, two plus 98 gets you to a hundred percent understanding of the buyer decision path. So two and 98 gets you to a hundred. So, you know, 2 million years ago, the Wait, survival brain- Wait, I can be in that club. Yeah,
1: geez, are you saying that I'm not in that club? Two plus yeah. ninety-eight. Hold on, I got to take my hey, shoes off. No, again. he said you were
2: in the club, but he didn't mention me. I I'm in the two plus. I don't 98. know if you're.
0: Are you in that club too? Two plus ninety-eight. <laughs> I am. But hey, there's a coach at Bowling Green. Is, one day, that kept saying out. Kaplan, Kaplan, you're a nine technique. Get your butt out there and don't yep. let and and don't let the ball carry get out there. Got yep. it, Coach. Yep. Um, no, uh, he would argue yep. I'm not in that group for sure. <laughs> now, cap. um but so let's just think about two million years ago, the survival brain was formed. I mean, it's incredibly powerful, and what it's there to do is to protect us. And so when I, as a seller, prospect you, this is emotional connection, when I as a seller, prospect you with a message about my innovation and how I can disrupt and how I can change your business and how my machine learning is going to automate everything that you do manually, right? The natural human response, is to push back and protect itself. That's just our natural survival instincts because the brain is it, the survival brain is two million years old. It actually formed first, and so that kind of is that first that first line of defense that we humans put up when any one or anything presents a threat or even a new opportunity to us. It, it, it comes across as a threat, and they have to protect themselves against it. So that's the first thing that most sellers don't realize then the the evolution of the brain as opportunity in the modern world you went from the stone age to the modern uh, modern age new opportunities came about and so this thrive brain developed and this this also emotional but opportunistic part of the brain and that's really where we all want to be we all want to get the positive outcomes we all want to think about how my business or how my job could be better than it is today but the bottom line is unless you disarm my survival brain first you're never going to get to my thrive brain. So the, the buyer decision path that we've learned through, through psychology is I give a mantra called survive, thrive, think. And I, you know, and and folks should write that down. It's that simple. And I walk onto, I walk into that call or I'm about to send that email or I'm getting on the video conference and, and I, and I should be thinking survive, thrive, think. I've got to first disarm those survival instincts. And the way I do that is I attach myself to the problems that they care about. In other words, what are they surviving in the job today? How many of us have been, been in an opportunity or been in a sales meeting where we're presenting all of this really cool stuff, maybe even later stage, an ROI, and all this return you're gonna get, and all of a sudden the buyer just pushes back and says, you have no idea what I'm trying to deal with right now. I've got problems to solve. And if you've ever been told that, that's really just the survival brain. And so survive, thrive, think is a sequence. I first have to disarm the survival brain by attaching to the problems that they care about. And literally I do that in my messaging. Here's the problems that I solve for. Help me understand how you might relate to to any of these. And it frames up the discussion in a very disarming way. But the bottom line with emotional connection as a habit is just realizing I'm never gonna get anywhere with this buyer until I disarm their survival instincts. But I want the majority of my my interactions to be about their thrive state, which is about the positive outcomes that we can deliver. The third part of the decision path, think, survive, thrive, think, is the intellectual brain. That's only been around 200,000 years. So in the book, I talk about the survival claw, and it's because this 2 million-year-old brain is constantly gonna have the survival claw that's gonna come up and slow down the intellectual thinking brain. That's actually how the brain has evolved over time, back to front. The back of the brain, the emotional brain, the center of the brain is that thrive brain in the front of the brain behind our forehead is this intellectual thinking brain. So it's the foundational understanding that before this buyer is going to spend energy and, and invest in really understanding the intellectual parts of my value proposition, I've got to disarm their survival brain by attaching to the problems they care about, inspire their thrive brain by making sure they understand the outcomes. And then we can get to the intellectuals. Here's the problem in sales. Too many of us sell backwards. We're trained to sell front to back. Let me immediately go to your thinking brain, tell you all all about my differentiators, and my ROI, and I haven't gotten you emotionally con- connected yet. And so really, it's not about what we say and what we do robotically in sales. It's just about the fundamental understanding of how buyers, human beings react to us and make decisions. And maybe some of us need to flip how we're selling, um, uh, emotional and then intellectual connection. I'll just kind of pause there and see see if that elicits any any thoughts about emotional connection.
1: I mean, I always think that people are walking around written on their forehead, why do I care? So if I'm going into a sales meeting, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, why do they care? How are they measured? And I'm trying to sell to those points. I didn't put it as succinctly as you would survive, thrive and think, which is really powerful. But that's basic, you know, simplifying it down to trying to get that, you know, personal connection
2: yeah and I, I it sounds like from there is where you you know put together the the leading ship because you uh, you are attaching yourself to problems and then you're understanding the implications and the negative consequences of those problems And you are, um, putting yourself in a position to get somebody to think about those problems in that path. So let's talk about that a little bit. You, you, it's, it's when I read the leading vision part, I kind of thought it's like elite sellers have the ability to get the buyer to visualize our solution in their world going from the problem to first making myself relevant to seeing themselves actually interacting with the solution in
0: the future is that a good paraphrase not perfect relevancy is really important you you are now relevant to me and that's why emotional connection is a foundational habit it applies to everything but you've made yourself relevant to me but you also understand me I, Relevance, for me, starts with problems I'm trying to solve. I mean, there's all kinds of cool things I'd want to do for my job and my company, but man, I've got to solve these problems. And so that's that relevancy and relatability has now been established. And so, as we go through the other the the other uh, habits here, uh, I, I want you to understand that i I wrote these in the context of an opportunity, the evolution of an opportunity. because, as I said, It was important that I wrote a book that you could go apply to making a commission this quarter. All right. So if emotional connection is my foundation and my foundational understanding of how, how humans react and make decisions, especially in business. Now I've reached my first milestone. I reference a few milestones and I call leading vision the connection milestone. So if I know what my expectations are and typically going to, it's typically going to drive my behavior. So my expectations and my initial sales conversations, because that's what leading vision is about. My expectation isn't that I'm getting a purchase order. It's not that I'm getting somebody to go to the economic buyer. I'm at, a, I'm at the buyer's milestone of a connection. Do they feel connected to my unique value proposition or not? My, my value proposi- proposition could be incredibly unique to the market. And my great venture capital firm has put in $20 million Everybody's doing high fives about how special we are. My buyer cares. How is this connected to me? And that manifests in the sales conversation. So leading vision is about getting to that, getting to that connection milestone of the buyer in the way that we position our message. So I could write out my messaging and it could be all, you know, articulate and well structured in a framework. But in the moment of conversation, How do I lead the discussion such that I first get you really understanding the problems that we attach to, get as the the majority of our conversation in that thrive state around the outcomes that we deliver? And we do that through buyer value proof points and metrics. We do it through customer stories, those really great relatable customer stories. We get it through, depending on what we sell, it could be use cases, it could be outcomes, Ultimately, these are all examples of outcomes that a buyer would relate to. And when I have connected to the problems that your solution, the specific problems that you solve for, and then the specific outcomes that matter to me, you are now getting me to the state of, of vision for myself. And so that's the other part of this. Getting a sales conversation to to, to be about leading a vision for a buyer, that's a personal vision. Okay, a vision is personal. It's what I have for myself, and most sellers struggle to realize that it's about. If I'm going to build a champion here, this person's going to have to have a personal vision of what my solution can do for them in terms of the outcomes that I can deliver for them. And then the last part of leading vision that I talk about in the book, and it's a psychological uh, concept that I make really really simple, that I learned from uh, from from someone else, is called the certainty loop. It's one thing to start seeing a vision for myself based on what you sell in this value proposition. But if I'm talking about building a champion, I've got to get them certain about it. So in the certainty loop, and you can see me right in this kind of left to right in a big circle, our actions, excuse me, our potential, our perspective of our potential drives our actions. Our actions then drive our results and our results drive our beliefs, which forms our absolute certainty. So our perspective of potential drives actions, actions drive results, results drive beliefs. And so if I'm going to get you certain about this connection and certain about this vision, I've got to do things that get you experiencing the results. So in a technical cell, that could be a proof of concept. If it could be a reference call, it could be talking to another, a doctor who speaks on this and they've used it before, Right. It's, it's, it's elite selling is basically saying the shortcuts are gone. Lazy selling's done. I've got to first get you connected to this value proposition. I've got to make it personal in terms of a vision that you care about. But before we go any further, I've got to get you to a level of certainty about it. And that guides my selling strategies. And that, and that, and that's where we kind of get into in the book. So leading vision is personal. It's my vision as a buyer, and I've got to get certain uh, in in this vision that your solution can deliver for me. Leading vision. I don't know if that elicits any any further thought from there. It does. Yeah. I mean, you gave some problem types,
2: which for me kind of resonated for like value drivers, you know, enablement, yeah. speed, risk mitigation, efficiency, transformation. It's like, that's the why buy anything. In my mind, it's kind of like, why buy anything? There's a problem. And then you talk about turning that you know, turning, getting the customer mostly connected to the urgency of that problem of the pain and understanding, getting the person to kind of stand in their moment of pain. And so that's kind of the why buy anything, how. And then you talked about making sure that in the vision that it was expansive enough by making sure that you had connections to the user operational business, but then you had integrated. Could you explain what you meant by integrated?
0: Yeah, this is the part of the book where we talk about what are out- outcomes of Kaplan and Rivera are talking about outcomes. What do you mean yeah. outcomes? And so there's different types of outcomes. And so an integrated outcome is, the, is kind of the, the ultimate and the empathetic uh, um, uh, ambition, meaning I'm, I know my solution has a great value proposition. It can do a lot of really important things over here, kind of on an island but where you're really going to see this vision for yourself with a level of certainty, because you can actually see and believe in the results. I'm going to make sure that you can, I'm going to find a way any way I can to make sure you understand the outcomes of my solution integrated into your world. And again, that depends on the context of what you sell. So this could be, if it's a, if it's a, if it's a, 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 a drug treatment, it could be okay. In my world today, based on where I am as a patient today, um, how does this integrate into my world today? Is it going to naturally fit, right? Is it is it not going to have any conflicts with negative consequences? If it's a business and this is a process that we're selling, how can this integrate into our business in a non-disruptive way to where it can be great on its own, but it can be great in my world? If it's a technology solution, maybe I've invested an enormous amount of money in a fundamental system. But I'm not really getting that optimized. So if your solution can now integrate into that and optimize it at a data level, at a process level, now I really start seeing myself in the future with certainty because I don't just understand what you do. I can actually see the results in my world. Right. And so it goes back to certainty integrated outcomes are the ultimate outcome because the buyer sees them integrated into their, into their world. Love it. But that's yeah, just making it personal for the individual in their world. Right. So, yes, absolutely. And again, we it's okay to get excited about our solutions and to be passionate. But until that buyer has a personal vision that they are connected to uh, and with some certainty that this can work in their world, um, we're just not going to get anywhere with them. Okay. And so that, that kind of goes to the milestones. So if we move to inspiring commitment as the as the second or the third habit, right emotional connection, leading vision, just just keep, you know keep your mind focused on these milestones and, and you know and I always tell folks when you go on a sales call or, or you're going to have a conversation it's all about expectation setting. And so let's let's minimize the expectations in terms of the, the amount of expectations, but maximize the the impact of what we're trying to do here. And so if what we're trying to do is build a champion, then it's really about what does the champion need at these milestones? So if I'm on an early conversation, look, I just need to get this buyer emotionally connected. They need to get connected to my value proposition in a personal way so that it attaches to their vision at a level of certainty where they, act, they can actually see the results in their world. That takes an enormous amount of empathy for the seller to think about their solution in their world. So all I've done though, is I've gotten them emotionally connected. They are now connected to the so what. Uh, I, I get it. it, it's starting to make sense to me. I'm getting interested. Now, how do I take interest to bias for action and doing something about it? That's called inspiring commitment. And so this is where I would say the, the biggest gap I've seen in sellers in an opportunity, they don't realize that there's a milestone called a commitment milestone. A buyer actually has to make an intellectual decision do I want to put my reputation and political capital on the line by being a champion? Do I want to go get the extra capex to make this deal happen? Do I want to go to my end client and ask them to change what they're doing today, right? And so I have got to make a decision of commitment now. And so sellers that go forecast call to forecast call week to week, they're, they're, they're preaching that they have a champion. Most of the time, they just have, they have a buyer who's really connected to the message. They're emotionally connected, but that's the first step. So how do I inspire commitment? And this is where urgency comes in, real motivation. So as I stu- studied motivation, I simplified it into a commitment path. So you write this down, purpose, plan, and promise. The commitment path is first for we humans to get committed to anything. We first have to understand the purpose of it. And you're, Kaplan, you're gonna kind of hear me kind of repeating some of your teachings over the years, right, you've you taught this, right? I've gotta be attached to the purpose of this, the purpose of me being your champion the purpose of us making this 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 actual happen. And then once I understand the greater purpose of your solution, I need to understand the plan for how I will be successful. And I talk about this in the book. It's called the law of attribution. We have to naturally be able to attribute how we'll be successful then before we actually do something. I don't know about you guys, but have you ever Have you ever either been on a cliff like in Hawaii or like on a lake over there in Carolina and your buddies are like pushing you to jump off and you emotionally like a knucklehead or you you might actually jump, but some really bad things could go down once you come down. So the law of attribution is basically what's going on in your brain going, okay, how deep is the water? Are there any rocks down there? Um, Is it so cold that I might freeze, right? So I have to attribute my success before I do this. So we go from emotional connection like in these early sales conversations, that's all I'm trying to do, get you emotionally connected, to now started getting intellectually committed. I want a champion. Cool. This human being has to make an intellectual decision to put their reputation on the line. And most salespeople don't respect that. We don't appreciate that. So the commitment path of, of purpose and plan is really about that message of how I get you totally understanding why you need to be committed to this and promise, purpose, plan, and promise is if I were to do this with this attribution of your differentiators, you know your your process of how you're going to migrate me, and I understand the plan of how you're going to get me successful, what's the promise of what I'm going to get in return? right? If I don't really know what I'm going to get in return, either A, I'm not going to get committed because I don't know why I should really put all the energy in, or maybe I'll commit to this for 50K a year, but I'm not committing to it for 500K a year. I don't know the promise of value I'll get in return. So inspiring commitment, that's a, that's a separate, further, more mature milestone in a buyer, uh, beyond just the milestone of connection. It's an, it's an actual milestone. So I, as a seller, when I realize that a buyer actually gets to a milestone of choosing to be committed, then cool. That means that my sales strategy is to get you committed. And what do I need to do to get you committed? I need to get you to connect you to the purpose and plan and promise of this decision. If I don't do a good job doing this, then we should both agree to walk away here because you should probably shouldn't be committed to this. So, you
1: You know, know, I wonder if you have any thoughts
0: on real commitment.
1: Yeah. If I haven't created enough value and it's not a big enough personal win in this, then like you said, the buyer is assuming the risk versus personal reward and they're not going to hold hands with you and jump off the cliff. Right. And there's one piece of this that I'd like to add to it is a lot of times they're also assessing you. It's not only the value they're going to get from using your product, but they're assessing, do they want to go down this road with the sales rep that's in front of them? Is is that sales rep prepared to go down this road with me as I get exposed and I have to be their advocate inside the organization? And would I be comfortable taking this salesperson to the economic buyer for the final decision? I think that really
2: uh, runs into the next habit, Richard, of trust building. Yeah. Do you agree?
0: Uh, no, it's, it's exactly right. And that's the instincts of you know, why straight these straight came together. You, Richard, I'm a great straight man. Yeah, but but that's because you sold in thousands of meetings. You know, yeah. people can say whatever they want about John McMahon as an advisor or Kaplan as a teacher, but you guys, you, you know, it, instincts come from being in thousands of sales calls and 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 just as many opportunities. And what we see is the evolution of the deal happens. If they're not committed, that's gonna create these problems. But even when we see them committed, that's why I would say deals always begin and end with trust. There's going to be more serious things pop up as the deal matures. I thought the investment was kind of in the $100,000 ballpark. I had no idea we were talking 350. I I thought that this would kind of work in my environment just as is, I had no idea that we, we would have to, re- I got to go to that other group and tell them we need to replace something. And also I got to this, this other team, we're going to integrate with something. And so more risks come up in, in the deal. And, and the big part of buyer empathy uh, that, that we talk about in the champion cell is understanding the risks that, that matter to the buyer. So trust building becomes this, this realization that of, of all the emotions in sales. None is more powerful than fear, okay survival instincts. if you can't attach to the survival instinct, you're going to be a threat you're not going to get to overcome those objections There're going to be too many of them right so that's the most powerful emotion in in sales. The most important emotion in sales is trust. they have to trust us, our company and our solution and so it all does start with us, as you said, John and so in the book I talk about the you know how do you how do you how do you be intentional with trust building? I learned a lot about trust from Stephen Covey and the Speed of Trust. Uh, it's, it's a great book because he kind of s- simplifies your understanding of what character is and what credibility is. But again, for, for, for the champion cell, I wanted to give concepts that you could put into action. So I, ta- I call them the three high trust habits. So if, if our trust path as humans is we, we will trust others and other things In a sequential order is what what I've learned through study. The first is someone's character, and that's your instincts that you just mentioned, John. So the very first thing, I don't care about your solution or your message. If I start uh, sensing distrust in your character, then none of the other things matter. So what are the other things in the trust path? The next thing is credibility. So character, then credibility. What's the credibility of your solution? In other words, what's the believability of it? Most salespeople don't realize as they're talking, where's the the, the credibility behind the words I'm using? Because my buyer is questioning the believability of what I'm saying right now. So I have to be intentional about credibility. And the last thing is our competencies. Well, if character, credibility, and competencies is a trust path, we should all be asking ourselves, where do we typically go first? We either go first to the competencies and we haven't really established trust with our character or credibility. Or even worse, we fail to establish trust with competency. So I give three high trust habits to, to to keep it simple. The first is what you're referring to, which is the projection of character. Projection is how we show ourselves and, and, and what persona we're sending out through our body language or communication. Um, and sometimes, oftentimes in sales, there's incongruence because I don't know about you guys, but when I was younger, I felt like I was on stage. I was acting. I was trying to be something different. And so my I was projecting a different character that was actually there. But if we're intentional trust builders, we're paying attention to how we're projecting our character. And in the book, I talk about these these different character tendencies, and 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 I would just guide everybody to read them and kind of self assess where you are. are. You are you an entertainer that likes to be on stage? Are you an intellectual that always likes to be right, but you don't really do anything for a buyer? You know, um, are, are, or are you know, are you a server that brings the coffee, brings the check, gets them the quote? you know, goes and asks for the discount, but you don't really bring any value. And so are you the guide? So when you're the guide as a seller, your character is projecting the two things that buyers care about. Number one, you care about value. You're a value-minded seller. You think about and you try to position and determine the value of what you sell, but also you actually have a a service-oriented mindset. You do stuff for me. You work, right? And so there's projecting our character. And there's a lot in there about character projection in the book that we should pay attention to as sellers, as individual humans. And then there's the the precision of our credibility, the the precision of our message and the words that we use. And then there's the proving of our competencies. Buyers Buyers don't just want to take our word for it. They need us to prove it. They need to see proof. And that could be a proof of concept. That could be a reference call, but the bottom line is a lot of sellers try to steer away from proving and they don't realize that it's so critical. So, you know, when you read trust building, my hope is that you'll learn a lot about how humans come to trust us. Number one, how freaking incredibly important it is in sales, but just being a little bit more thoughtful about what my habits can do to impact trust and believability in a buyer because that champion is not going to make that milestone of closure. And that's what the milestone of trust building is. They're not going to commit to that milestone of closure. I am going to take this solution from this seller and I'm going to take it into a closing process. They're not going to do that unless they trust you, your company, what you sell, um, at, at all. One of the that's things really I- good.
1: So, um, Johnny, just one more thing before yeah. we leave trust is, um, in the book, you talk about trust always has a tax and trust is disguised. Can you just dive a little bit deeper into that, Richard?
0: Yeah, I, I think we all have to understand the purpose of anything. I'm asking anybody reading this book, I, at, whether you're a seller or a leader, I'm asking you to make some habit change. And before we make habit change, we have to make a mindset change. And so the mindset that trust is critical really starts with understanding why. Trust is so critical in understanding this thing we call trust. And so I talk about these, these, you know, these truths of trust. Number one, trust, you know, trust is a force, meaning out of all the different emotions, whether it's stress or tension or conflict, trust can make the kind of impact on a deal that will completely stop a locomotive in its tracks, you know, and, and, we don't, we don't think of it that way. We think of it as kind of like this passive thing that they like me. They trust me. We're good. The demo went really well. They're good. No, trust is a force. You've got to respect it. It's like going against Shaquille O'Neal and thinking you could just play your normal game. You got to bring a different game. Right. When I talk about trust, um, has a tax. So for different reasons, uh, but, but many we can relate to, we typically have to pay some type of tax. Uh, either when we get into the opportunity or maybe a tax that we've caused. A tax is, a trust tax is, there is a there is a weakness in this buyer's trustability for us that we've got to overcome. We have to pay a tax. So that might be a tax because knucklehead sellers have come before us and they've just done things and said things that have made us all look bad. And they're just kind of assuming I'm just another ne- knucklehead. Kaplan, what is it that you teach Buyers, you don't listen.
2: Uh, seller yeah. deficit Say, disorder. You don't understand my cap. business. the The data says that when you show up, you have a deficit that you need to overcome. Is that the buyer does not believe that you understand their business, and number two, they don't believe that you listen very well as a seller. And it's been that data has been the same for you know over five decades.
0: Yeah. So CAP teaches a seller deficit disorder. You don't listen, you don't know my business. And there's all kinds of taxes that have come before us. It could be our solution. Um, I've been at high tech and I know there's all kinds of different products and services out there, but let's say my solution is really driven by uh, machine learning algorithms. Well, you may have had an experience with a machine learning driven solution that completely burned you. It automated something when you had no control and it burned you. Maybe there's a medical treatment, but that specific type of treatment even though I know you're intellectually telling me that its efficacy is off the tra- chart, and you've got this beautiful scientific study to show me, look in my experience, I've had, uh, you know, I've got some believability issues with your type of treatment. That's called a trust tax, right? So, being prepared and and really accepting that I'm going to probably have to overcome a tax. I in the in the in the book, I I give you know four simple steps of restoring trust, getting to root causes. And and having an agreed plan of what it's going to take to restore your trust, holding your champion accountable of restoring that trust. All right. Um, another another truth of trust, though, is that um, besides it being disguise, besides it being a force and being uh, a tax that I have to pay, trust is disguised. What I mean by that is we often, especially when we sellers get, you know, very focused on us and we're not buyer focused where we don't have enough empathy. We're not thinking about the buyer's mindset and journey enough. We actually don't realize that there's a trust issue there. And so what do we do? We're getting really nervous at the end of a deal and, and we're not getting the movement. We're not getting the urgency. We're not getting the commitment. So what do we do? Hey, hey, buyer, I was thinking last night, the price might be a little high. So why don't you consider this discount? Or hey, I I was thinking maybe you need a few free months or whatever it may be. And we start putting out these concessions and we start what McMahon calls negotiating with ourselves, right? And what we don't realize is there's actually a trust gap here. It's disguised. One, because maybe our buyer isn't being very forthright and letting us know that there's a trust issue. But the number one reason trust is disguised is because we do sell to consensus, meaning Multiple buyers have to get involved and we might not be meeting with all of them. That's why we do need to get wider in the decision process. We do need to meet with everyone and understand the decision criteria and lead everyone's vision. Right. But those different stakeholders may actually have major trust gaps and our buyer is just their representative. And so there's a disguise there that if we just stop and realize that we're the buyer's milestone of closure, And what that really means for them, and the most important thing that that means for them is they need to get to a state of trust. It enables us to slow down to go fast. Look, I'm going to have to execute some trust building strategies here. Maybe I've got to restore some trust before this buyer is really going to get to their final milestone.
2: One of the things when I was reading this, Richard, is, you know, I was thinking about how do you, you know, how do you actually know that there's a gap? And in your book, you just call it, you know, a buyer's trust standard. One of the best ways to find out is just ask. And I think some things I've seen people do really well in the past before is to say, uh, what do you like most about what we've talked about so far and what's causing you pause and just be open and honest and open, ask an open, honest question, and you tend to get an open, honest response. So, what do you like most about what we've been talking about so far, and what's causing you pause? And you get some mm-hmm.
0: really, really good answers on what's causing you pause. Let me tell you some People wonder why I'm so loyal to John Kaplan and John McMahon. You, you guys teach craft. What you're doing right now is you're teaching craft. What? What did you talk to us about? You're delegated and relegated to who you sound What was that saying? You're delegated relegated to who you sound, like. Who you sound yeah. like. Yeah. So the first step is, in your example is, look, um, I, if I'm delegated and relegated to who I sound like, um, I've got to have an, an executive to executive conversation. It doesn't matter that I'm a 29-year-old sales rep on my second job and, you know, and I'm worried about, you know, my mortgage, <laughs> getting a mortgage. I am, I'm in an opportunity here where. I have recognized that you have a trust gap or I've recognized that I'm not really sure you're committed and I need to make sure that you're aligned to message. I need to make sure that there's a commitment there. And it's okay for me to respectfully be direct and ask you. The reason why I give really simple coaching points in the book is because in the moment of nervousness and we think about what are all the different things that I could, that I could ask. If I'm kind of at that early to mid stage of the deal and I'm starting to question, do I have a commitment gap? Okay, I'm going to do what elite sellers do. I'm going to directly ask because I'm going to sell on their level. I'm going to directly ask, this deal's not moving. There's not much urgency lately. Can you help me understand in my experience, are your gaps of commitment in either you, your, your understanding of the purpose or maybe the plan of how we're going to make you successful or the promise of what you're going to get in return? That's a direct co- you know, direct question on where are your commitment gaps? If we're further along, we're at this milestone of closure and the final stages are not happening to really get the deal done. I'm realizing, okay, all deals begin and end with trust. I've got a trust gap. And so I can directly ask you on your trust path, um, what is it that you're really not trusting here? Is it kind of the character of my team or the solution? Is it is it the, the credibility of our solution? Is it our competencies? And competencies, the difference between competencies and, cred- and capabilities, capabilities are the things that our solutions do. Competencies are our ability to do them for the customer, the impact that they can make, right? So my competency is how I'm able to do it for you uniquely, right? And so I can directly ask, where is the gap, right? And, and then I drive my strategy to fill that gap with you and, and that comes down to elite sellers just being direct and realizing that if I simplify what, what champions need, they need to mitigate risk. They need to get commitment. What are those? What are the, what are the attributes that they need to, to, to get that level of commitment and trust? I can also be really direct and determining, get them to participate in their own rescue. As Kaplan would say, you help me understand where your gaps are, either trust gaps or commitment gaps. And is it fair that we're going to both work together to fill those gaps? And if we decide in the next couple of weeks that we can't fill those gaps, it's okay. No big deal. But that's a lot different than, geez, I don't know what the hell's going on. Let me throw another discount. Or let me meet with them. Let me ask for a meeting. Why are you meet with them? I have no idea why we're going to meet with them. I just want to meet with them again. So yeah. it's just trying to be more intentional in elite selling. Um, so these are just different examples. Well, let's talk
1: about the last E in
0: elite. And yeah,
1: it's empowering champions. You want to talk a little bit about? I think you put in the book yeah. five
0: essential justification questions. Um, well, I, yeah, I talk about the three empowerments, and again, so it's really simple. W- w- what's the work that we have to do to win? And, and so, empowering champions is we we are now at a milestone of winning. The buyer has gone through a milestone of connection in our early sales conversations a milestone of commitment where now they had to go from this emotional connection to this intellectual commitment. I'm going to be their champion. I'm going to do something about it to um, I've, I've got to now work to closure. And so I've got to feel real trust in the solution and it's going to work in my environment. So now I've got to win. We got to get the deal across the finish line. There's all kinds of flavors of deals. Obviously, you know, the three of us have been involved in some pretty complex sales to really, really large organizations really political, bureaucratic, a lot of constituents. But I've worked with sellers who are in small deals to small companies, and they still feel the same challenges of getting the deal done. So for the milestone of winning, and I do mean it's the buyers, the champions milestone of winning, because if they don't have a positive outcome, if they're not the ones getting positive value, then why are they doing it in the first place? So they should, there should be a win in this for them. And so in that milestone of winning... The, the biggest realization and the empowerment of champions is that my work cannot stop. I freaking work too hard. I mean, it took me forever just to get a meeting with this team. And then we had to deal with all those emotions that Rivera talks about. We had to overcome all of that. And we finally got them committed. They're starting to have trust. And now I'm just going to sit on my hands and hope that they get the deal done. Well, guess who hasn't stopped selling yet? My competition. And so what I always say is this is where we get outsold, either our competitive sales reps, sales teams, or even the other people in the consensus and procurement. There's a lot of forces that start working against us at the end and mo- and and for those of us who've been through a lot of deals, you know what I'm talking about. Everything just seems so well to close. And, and I've told McMahon, this is ours to win, it's coming in. And then it pushes and it pushes or no decisions or worse, it goes to a com- competitor. Most of the time we got outsold and that doesn't necessarily mean our competitor uh, did more things. It could be other people in the consensus mitigated risks and slowed this down. And so what does that mean? We have to empower them through three empowerments. And so we talk about the empowerment, um, the empowerment of, of justification. Why should we do the deal? And you're thinking we already covered this in our sales meetings. We talked about this a million times we're talking about a milestone of winning. This is about getting the thing across the finish line, the CapEx, OPEX, it's going to be signed. It's going to be gone. Okay. It's going to be committed. So how do we get the consensus and all economic authority to really understand the justification? So I just basically give a simple guide to five steps of justification. What are the five questions that if an economic buyer had a 15 minute meeting with that champion, what are the five you know questions that they would need answered? And so that's what those five things are. Things like, you know, what's the purpose of this? What's the going to be the impact to our business? What's the risk? What's the risk mitigation plan? Most salespeople don't even think about risk and the risk mitigation plan. They try to avoid it, hide it. And then all of a sudden it kills the deal at the very end. So elite sellers know, look, there is risk to what I sell for sure. Um, But here's our risk mitigation plan. And you need to tell your economic authority and all the other people in the consensus. So the empowerment of justification. Then there's the empowerment of consensus. How do you sell someone who doesn't sell for a living? How do you empower them? Your champion does not sell for a living. They operate a business. How do you empower them to sell to all the other people in the consensus, whether with or without you? And then the third empowerment is the empowerment of negotiation. So there's different ways you can go about this. You can do what I did and you can go through Keras negotiation for an entire week. You can go through the force management value-based negotiation course. And you can learn it all uh, and become a master of your craft. What I really just simplify here is negotiation from a champion's perspective comes down to a few fundamental things that you have to empower. Number one, if they're a champion, it's not acceptable that there's no communication plan between the two of you in the final process. They may tell you, well, we have a process where procurement keeps us out. It's unacceptable. I don't want to alienate you and make sure, make you go outside your process, but we can find a covert way to make sure we have a communication plan, text messaging, regular schedule call, whatever it may be. Like then that. there's the negotiation of messaging and information. And then there's the negotiation, um, uh, you know, uh, negotiation guides. The whole point, just to conclude that empowering champions is when it comes time to win the deal, one, the work doesn't stop. And I'm trying to give strategies of the specific things we we should be doing at a minimum that our champion needs us to do, that if we do those things, we will get them closer to the finish line than if we don't. Otherwise, it's just a big gamble, hoping that the champion is experienced enough to make the deal happen. Excellent. Really good.
2: Cap, you have a... I... W- you wanted w- to say something.
1: <laughs> sorry, I like, just hitting your mute, unmute, mute, unmute. Sorry,
2: I just <laughs> just coughed. Um, Richard, you've taken qualification to another level of how. And my hat's off to you. You've just done a really, really good job with these habits. I think that, um, you know, <clears throat> sales leaders out there, that are using methodology to tell people they don't have something you've got a lot of how in here somebody tells you, you don't have a champion you got a lot of how in here on how to go make that happen you've done a really really good job well done Thanks yeah richard i
1: don't think there's anything else like this out on the in the market right now as far as your book i mean you did a really you know exceptional job of like Johnny said, the how, but you're going into the how on each step of the sales process in in, you know, finding champions, developing them, understanding their risk, making the emotional connection. So you did a phenomenal job. And I'm sure, you know, definitely our listeners will get a lot of value out of this. But if you really want to get true value, you know, out of what Richard has to say, you got to go ahead and buy the book. It's a lot in there. Yeah. In fact, I feel like we <laughs> just t- t- touched the iceberg. As far as yeah, what's in the book. excellent yep. and, job.
2: And a reminder, and a reminder that's the champion. sell. the five elite sales habits to building and winning with buyer champions by Richard Rivera. Well done. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks, Appreciate Richard. Appreciate it, fellas. Yeah, and hey, thanks. Thanks so much for the time. I loved it. You're welcome. Yeah, you you got got brother. Well, thank you, and. Thanks again to everyone for listening to another episode of The Revenue Builders.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.